Songe Zoma Pepe on SAFM. Yeah, Safa Sapelisizosimnyama. That is a song that is dedicated to the memory of the youth of 1976 who revolted at the state of the education system then. What for the class of 2020? It's a matter of time before we know definitively. For now, getting children back to school safety is the priority. Research has been done by the Human Sciences Research Council, and we're having a conversation now with Professor Rifilwe Masegela. Ma'am, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Good evening, Sangeso. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thanks for honouring your time, I suppose. This is the most appropriate thing to ask. Are you well? Are those who you love well as well, or relatively unaffected by COVID? Well, no, we we very well, thank you very much. It all comes with the job. That's good to know. That's good to know. Tell us then, how do we get children back safely to school? Well, those who are at school, because we know that there was an about turn around now last night. Well, um, I think that's probably something the education department should be answering about getting the children back to school. Mm. But I think from a scientific background and a scientific perspective, uh, as a pediatrician, we really looked quite carefully at the data from all over the world with regards to the impact of COVID-19 on children. Yes. And we know that uh, even in South Africa, if you look at the statistics, children make up a very small proportion of their COVID-19 cases. Uh, and by children, we mean those under the age of 19 years. That would mean all school-going children. And of those school-going children... A very, very, a very, very small proportion of those kids, if they do actually get COVID-19 infection, uh, will actually be ill enough to require admission to hospital. So uh, looking at the data all over the world, it will be somewhere around 1% of any child who gets infected would require hospitalization. So in terms of children, COVID uh, infection actually causes very in the majority of the cases, the children are asymptomatic, that there would be no symptoms, and you test them and find that it's positive, or they would have a very, very mild course of disease. So I think the burden of COVID-19 in children is actually very low. So in terms of uh, them uh, being at risk for infection um, and then missing months months of school, if you do a risk-benefit analysis, it's quite clear that it's really safer for children to go to school and the losses of them losing out on months and months of schooling would really far outweigh the risk of getting or contracting the infection and the very, very small proportion of those children who would actually require um, hospitalization from the disease. Let me go one level deeper on that analysis. Does it contemplate the conditions of the classroom before COVID? In other words, when you say children will be better off in the final analysis by going back to school as opposed to staying, the school that we are talking about, children attending, is it the school that they were attending, in other words, before the lockdown, in other words, 17 um, March, or is it a school that contemplates the kinds of interventions that have to be made for a credible class environment contemplating the presence of COVID-19? Well, I think if you really, uh, we cannot speak about um, the new normal without uh, talking about interventions to reduce or mitigate against getting infection. Of course, if we're talking about going back to school, it would mean that we would have to take care of issues such as social distancing, making sure that people are uh, wearing masks, 
uh, making sure that people have access to hand washing facilities or uh, sanitization of their hands. And um, these are key preventative measures that all of us have to take in the in the population. So it's not just isolated to schools, but in, in the workplace and everywhere that we are as a population. Remembering that now 9 million adults have gone back to work. So actually, adults would pose an even greater risk than children going back to school because we know that children, number one, the majority of the disadvantaged children in our population require the nutritional support that they would get from school. They would not have access to devices, um, data, um, computers to be able to learn remotely. And that is a critical component that I think is being best here. Children are actually paying the price for a disease that mostly affects adults. I accept that children are paying the price. I accept that even adults are paying the price. But would it then be a case from the argument that is presented by you or my understanding of the argument presented by you when all is considered despite and possibly even because of what we know, children are better off in the classroom than at home? Also, the classroom that we speak about then is a classroom that for the most part would resemble a classroom of before the lockdown, in other words, 17 March and before, because the reason why schools are not countrywide open today is because for the most part, the classroom resembles 17 March and before. Social distancing for the most part is not practical. You've got high numbers, limited space. You don't have a timetable that allows for 20 scholars in one class that typically holds 60. You don't have the equipment required and the necessary training on that equipment and the water and sanitation infrastructure in place. I'm talking about the majority of South African schools now. So essentially the argument means, the implication of the argument, children are better off in school. They're better off in school in a classroom that resembles 17 March 2018. Because if we are talking about what should be there, which it isn't, then they should be in class anyway. Well, I mean, I started off the conversation by saying I cannot answer for the Department of Education. I accept but that I part. Think, yes, but I think the strategies are there in place. The advice has been given of what is required for schools to happen. I think if those, if those measures are in place, then children should go back to school because we, COVID-19 is going to be with us for the next two to three years. So if we are going to wait for two years for the virus to disappear, mm, that mm, would be mm. fantastic. But it would be at what at what cost to children? Because they make up a small proportion of uh, infected cases. They don't carry the burden of the disease. Um, but then they will definitely suffer the consequences of, of not going to school, unfortunately. Okay. On that account, you are now tasked. Let's pretend for a moment I'm Minister Mutsekha. And I'm asking you on the basis of your research as has been conducted, knowing what you know, in other words, with the live data that we have, our classrooms are not ready because of whatever the reason. Fact is, our classrooms are not ready. Would your advice be the same? In other words, not conditional on what happens, on condition well, of what pertains today. What would your advice be? My understanding from what I've, I've been um, following in terms of the Department of Education, mm. the request is for grade 12s and grade 7s to go back to school. Yes. I think like every other job, uh, for example, um, people have been essential workers, uh, have been working throughout this pandemic. We've all had to learn how to mitigate against the disease. Mm. And it's a learning curve. I think being 
I understand the fears of parents. I understand that there's great concern. But unless step is taken, we will have to wait for the next six to seven months and our grade 12s would not be able to, to finish the school year. And that is the reality. Would that be too great a cost by saying, first of all, we accept our conditions and our conditions in accepting them, the implication thereof is let us then forfeit the balance of this year, something which has been sponsored by Jonathan Janssen, an education expert, let's call him that, and on the basis of what we know and on the potential, potentially, that we will not be ready, as we have not been ready on the 1st of June, we will not be ready on the 8th of June, that's already half the academic year gone anyway. And because South Africa's legacy is the kind that we are so far behind in terms of basic schooling infrastructure, despite what COVID-19 in any event requires, would it be absurd then if, 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 if government came to you on the premise that they are not going back to school this year, what would you say to mitigate against that policy position? I think we should, we, we should remember that I'm just a medical expert. And I'm I accept that, ma'am. advice from a medical perspective. I cannot speak for the Department of Education. And I can really clearly say that the South African Pediatric Association has sent out exactly the kind of information, the scientific data that's out there. We, we have all agreed that we think for children, this disease is posing a greater um, is causing more greater damage if children don't go back to school. Let's because discuss this damage. we've looked at the data worldwide, we've looked at the risks. For children themselves, the impact of COVID is really not as great as for adults. Let's discuss that, the damage that, of not being in the classroom. That is the premise of my uh, discussion, and I cannot speak for the Department of Health, I cannot speak for the Department of Education. I can only speak from a scientific basis, as a scientist, what we've mm. looked at in terms of the data and what is the data is showing us. Correct. And, and, and these questions are predicated on the fact that it's not just an education question. It's a, it's, it's, it's a delayed intervention that is required. It needs many stakeholders. And these stakeholders have to talk to each other. The scientists have to talk to the education people, vice versa. Hence, I'm asking these questions because in as much as the research may be scientific, its implication very much rests in the education space. And the decision that is made by those in education policy have clinical outcomes or clinical effects or health effects, which is why, I'm, whilst I'm not requiring you to speak on behalf of the department, I certainly would be happy if you could engage in that context because ultimately that is the conversation that has to be had. Now, on the question of the losses, if you like, of children not going to school, what are these psychological losses or psychosocial losses outside the potential health effects? Well, I mean, I can. Uh, we, we, there's a lot of data, um, especially from China, Europe, etc., where they've shown that children who are isolated cannot access school. There's a lot of anxiety. About 20% of children are anxious. About 20, almost 20% of children get depressed, and they, just from the pure social isolation. But I think, or as well in South Africa, if you put everything into context. Uh, this is in countries where there's access to um, uh, uh, online learning, where there's some interaction with the outside world. And we know that in South Africa, there's very, very little access to those very poor communities where these children actually cannot access any kind of learning and have not done so for the last few months. 
So it's it's really unfortunate that they are the ones who are going to bear the brunt of of COVID nineteen because they have no access to any schooling, they have no access to online teaching, they will have no access to um, nutritional programs in school, which has a great impact on not only their development, which we worry about as pediatricians, mm. but also in terms of their learning. You cannot learn if you're hungry. So I think taking into context and looking at the risks and outweighing the risks and the benefits, I think it the benefits far outweigh the risks. And really, if you look at the con- context of South Africa, which you're trying to stress, South African context, for a child who comes from a community that they don't have access to anything else, school is a structured environment where learning takes place, where growth takes place, where development takes place, where if you're a metric learner and you have spent six months at home, you have had not, no online teaching, your access to higher education will be minimal. That is that is that is risk. That is what's going to happen if you don't go back. Don't go back to school. In, in, in the context of your report, and I'm just going to reference it for those who are listening at home, it's what do we know about SARS-CoV-2 in children? Is it safe to go to school? And, of course, you're the author of the report. Can you just give us international comparators or perspectives in terms of what's happening in South Africa is similarly experienced elsewhere around the globe or, alternatively, relative to our economic size and strength as a nation versus another country of equal strength, how do we fare as a nation in relation to this particular indicator? Well, I think if, you look, if you've looked at epidemiology of two, you will know that it really started in the West, in China, and then it went on to Europe, and now it's actually starting to um, in South America, and Africa is actually, I think, in the beginning stages of the epidemic. So unfortunately, if we look at where most of the data is coming from, we uh, rely on data from China, uh, Japan, Europe, uh, because that's where the the pandemic hit, the numbers increased, and where we can, we have a lot of data. But unfortunately, in Africa, South Africa is the leading country in Africa, as you know, in terms of the cases. So we really don't have... uh, a case in many low middle income countries look at the impact of the virus, for example, in areas where there's tuberculosis, HIV, because the data is not there. You must just remember that COVID-19 only started five months ago. So all, all the information that we have is actually from the last five months. So, so a lot of the data actually comes from countries where the epidemic hit first and we are then followed on later. The only country that we know that has kept their schools open is Sweden, where they never actually closed, they never had a hard lockdown, and they kept their children going to school. Um, and from that data in Sweden, we can see clearly there were no schools um, that actually had huge outbreaks in terms of COVID-19, and it looks that children do not, um, if they're infected, are not huge sources of outbreaks in schools. And uh, as well as in, in New Zealand, there's also data from there where there were a number of children that were infected, but they went to school, had uh, interaction with their teachers and other students, and there were very, very few infections in that, in that case. So we do have some case studies in countries where people were in schools and there were none, none of these clusters or outbreaks of COVID-19. But as I tell you, 
in low middle income countries there is very little data because the, the pandemic mm, because of the complexion of the pandemic, not because we don't have data um, from middle-income countries. Let's leave it there then. Thank you so much, Professor Rifilwe Masagela, pediatric pulmonologist and head of department for pediatric and child health at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. That conversation was around getting children back to school safely. And certainly from her report and the HSRC at large, presumably the better thing to do right now is to have children back at school. Let's take the news break now. It's 21 hours.